us week after week as we dig into his word. Thank you for being here today. You know that our study has brought us to John 7 and 8. John 7 and 8. And beloved, we're going to have to move so rapidly through this passage because there's just so much here that we could spend the next year and never exhaust all of the text. And you know, I can talk really fast. So I intend to cover it to the best of my ability, giving what I believe the Lord has given to me. Let me pause for water, please. Beloved, between chapter 6 and chapter 7 in the Gospel of John, there's been a gap of about six months. John does not give us the details of these six months. He leaves that to the other Gospel writers because John is quite intent on writing in such a way that the reader might be thoroughly convinced that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and come into eternal life. And so we pick up now in chapter 7. From chapter 7 to the end of the gospel covers about the last six months of the Lord Jesus Christ's life, ending, as you know, with the crucifixion. And the resurrection. And oh, beloved, John is trying to draw us in. John makes a point to show us how quickly the Jews rallied around Jesus when he burst onto the scene, how excited they were. They enjoyed the miracles. They loved to eat the bread. They loved to watch him as he raised the dead and healed the sick, gave sight to the blind and hearing to the deaf. They loved that. But in chapter 6, as he begins to move in to the reality of the Christ follower's life, which is death to self, they decided they didn't care so much about that message, and they left him in droves. And throughout the book of John, you can see how John just marvels at how quickly they rallied to him and how quickly they rejected him. And so at this point, the crowds are beginning to dwindle quite a bit. And he begins tightening his focus, teaching these incredible, profound truths, pouring into his disciples and to those who were willing to stay and listen to him. So the first thing I want you to see in John chapter 7, and I'm going to summarize most of this, so just bear with me. But in John chapter 7 is what I have entitled the opposition of Jesus, because we're going to see over the course of the next a few weeks of study how the the opposition is really escalating the first thing I want you to see is that it happened during the time of the fe feast of the booth in verse 2 now the feast of the Jews the feast of booths was near that's the setting and beloved this was an incredible a feast and celebration for the Jews. There were three major feasts that all males in Israel were required to attend and participate in. The first was the Passover, the second was Pentecost, and the third was the Feast of Booze or Tabernacles. And it was by far the most fun, the most celebratory, the one full of joy and celebration. It lasted for six days initially. By the time of Jesus' incarnation, and they had extended it. Don't you know they loved a good party? And they had extended it to the eighth day. And beloved, I just want to tell you real quick, what we can learn from this is that God has created us for community. 
And I want to tell you that if you're not engaged in community where you are building a network of strong believers to fellowship with, to do life with, you are missing out. And you are not going to do well in the coming days when persecution is going to come up against us. We need each other. Amen? Amen. Look around the room. This is what we've got. And I need you and you need me. We keep each other accountable. We keep each other inspired and encouraged. That's community. We hold each other accountable. And all of these festivals were about gathering and celebrating incredible profound truths that God was impacting the Jewish culture with. But we can learn as the church, the blood-bought church, beloved, that we are created for community. It is never good to try to do this on your own. But what does Satan do? Especially in the face of crisis, he causes us to cocoon and withdraw, right? Very, very dangerous. And so I just love this festival. They're all gathering with tremendous joy. And they built these booths that they would live in over the course of the week. And it was to commemorate the time when their ancestors had been wandering in the wilderness. And while they were wandering in the wilderness, God provided over and over and over for their needs. And that's what the festival of booths was to celebrate. And so they would live in these little structures and on the... um, Uh, It was to remind them of the exodus from Egypt, the wilderness wandering, and the entrance into the promised land. So everything was designed to point to that time to remind the Israelites what had happened to their forefathers and one to warn them not to be a stiff-necked people, the other to bless them and encourage them to, by faith, walk with God. Well, during this time, There would be tens of thousands, is what the commentary said, of Jews that would come and pour into Jerusalem. And so that is the background, that is the setting. And John uses these events to take note of the growing animosity towards the Lord Jesus. And he identifies three sources. The first is Jesus' own brothers. Look with me in chapter 7, verse 5. For not even his brothers were believing in him now beloved think about that these men had grown up with him they had shared the bed with him they had played with him they had studied carpentry in their father's carpentry shop shop they had heard the story of his amazing miraculous birth from the time they were little bitty and yet they did not believe And so his brothers were set against him. In fact, they would not believe until after the resurrection. Then they would come to faith and be mightily used in the kingdom of God. Not only were his brothers opposed to him, the Jews by and large in general were opposed to him. Look, if you would, in chapter 7, down in verse 12, there was much grumbling among the crowds. And might I just say... I don't think there's anything more unattractive on a Christian than grumbling and mumbling and critiquing and complaining. And there was much of it in the crowds. Can you imagine what that was like? I'm I'm saying that was sucking the fun right out of all of this. You know what I mean? You you get that? Grumbling, muttering, mumbling, griping, complaining. Just a thought. There was so much grumbling among the crowds concerning him 
yeah, yeah, think on that for a while. And, and some of them were saying, well, he is a good man. And others were saying, oh, no, no, no. To the contrary, he leads the people astray. So even in the multitudes of the Jews at large, there was dissension and division. And may I say that muttering very often results in dissension and division. I'm just going to move on. It's not a lesson on muttering. But if we might all take that to heart. And finally, the rulers were opposed to him. If you would uh, look in chapter 7, down in verse 32, the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priest and the Pharisees, they sent officers to seize him. They were looking for an opportunity to arrest him and charge him. And so his brothers did not believe in him. That must have been horribly painful and terribly confusing to Mary. Very hurtful to her. We believe Joseph by this time has already deceased. The Jews by and large, he came into his own and what? His own didn't know him. Didn't really care to apply themselves to find out if indeed he fulfilled the scriptures or not. They were divided. And the rulers, the religious rulers of the day were opposed to him and were seeking a way that they might arrest him and charge him. I want you to see the second thing now, using that as the backdrop and remembering this great feast was going on, I want you to see what I call the invitation of Jesus. Verse 37, chapter 7. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture says, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Verse 39, but this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. That would come on the day of Pentecost. For the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus had not yet been glorified or yet gone to the Father. That's when the Spirit of God would descend. This is the invitation. Now let me just give you some of the background because this is so thrilling. Part of this seven-day ceremony now on to eight days. Part of this ceremony was every morning the priest would take a golden pitcher and he would lead a joyous procession and they would be singing and dancing and praising God. And they would go down to the pool of Siloam and he would scoop up some water in his pitcher and he would hold it high up in the air and they would speak the verse, Isaiah 12, verse 3. They would recite it together. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. How did they miss Jesus, the author of salvation? How did they miss it? And then the priest would take this incredible crowd. They would all march back together singing and praising. And he would pour out the water at the altar of the temple. And the choir, the temple choir would burst into songs of psalms of praise from Psalm 119, or excuse me, Psalm 113, all the way through 118. And for those of you who have trouble with contemporary music, I want to tell you they did three stanzas of the same phrase over and over again, okay? I mean, they were shouting, they were jumping, they were dancing before the Lord. They were praising God as they celebrated this water picture 
and the priest would pour out the water and the people would rejoice and it would commemorate the time when God gave them water through Moses in the wilderness when they were without water and God told Moses go speak to the rock and when he did water flooded out and there were millions of them and they all had enough to satisfy their thirst. And that's what this picture was as he poured the water out upon the altar. And on the seventh day, he added a march around the altar seven times. And the commentaries say that was to commemorate the Battle of Jericho, which was the first military battle they fought when they took the Promised Land. And so he would march around it seven times, and then he would pour the water out. Can you imagine the drama? Can you imagine the picture of this and it is most likely at that moment at that moment we're not sure if this happened on the seventh day or on the eighth day but we believe at that moment is when Christ stepped forward and with a loud voice that echoed throughout the temple he cried out uh, if anyone's thirsty let him come to me and drink beloved the invitation still stands if you have never met Jesus Christ I want to tell you we are praying for you we are praying for you that today will be the day of your salvation that you will bring your thirsty soul to Jesus Christ and you will drink fully deeply of living water and you will never thirst again I tell you he will satisfy and only he can the deep longings of your soul. Stop trying to fill that thirst with what the world offers. It's toxic water compared to living water that Jesus offers. Are you thirsty today? Do you need a drink of water? Come, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Have your sins washed whiter than snow. Come to Jesus. He is living water and he is inviting you today as clearly as he was on that day. And if you're here today and you already know him, but your soul has become dry and you're spiritually dusty and spiritually thirsty, guess what? You can come back. You can come back. You know, I love the story of the prodigal. My husband and I both feel like we were prodigal uh, children. We did not get saved until the age of 24. And uh, we had been married by five years for five years at that point. And I want to tell you, we had been in some very serious trouble. I know you all find that hard to believe. But we were in serious, serious trouble. Broken the heart of both sets of the family. When we went to tell them we were going to get married, they both said, good, just go right on ahead, go ahead. We think you deserve each other, Go, just go ahead, go ahead with yourself. And it took us five years when we began to wise up and we began to understand that it was Jesus we were looking for all those years. And I tell you, he met us and changed us. And that drink was over 40 years ago. And it's as thirst-satisfying at this moment as it was in that first day when I bowed the knee and said, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I don't understand much, but evidently you love me. I'm sorry for my sin. Come into my life. I tell you, he is the drink that will satisfy and today if you are here and because of circumstances or because of difficulties or because of sickness or finances whatever it is 
that you belong to him, you're a daughter of the king, but your soul is thirsty. Come back. Come back. The imagery of the father as he longed to see the prodigal return. It's one of my very favorite pictures. It represents God the Father. And when he was yet a long ways off, the Father saw him. He'd been gone a long time. He'd changed dramatically, but oh, he knew his boy. And that father gathered his robes about him, and he took out running towards him. And when he reached him, though the son was so ashamed of what he'd done, the father said, my son, my son, you were dead and are now alive. Kill the fatted calf. It's the only time in Scripture we see God in a hurry. And he runs towards his child that wants to come home. That's the invitation. And now let me show you what I call the revelation. And I know I'm moving very quickly, but there's so much to cover. And time is so fleeting. In chapter 8, he reveals himself in three ways in this chapter. The first we see is as the righteous judge. And this deals with the story of the woman overtaken in adultery. And to not spend the whole time on her story just seems absolutely criminal, but I don't have time to do it justice. So I'm just going to have to gloss over it to say that the incredible thing is that the Lord Jesus Christ showed himself to be, revealed himself to be. This is glory revealed as the righteous judge, the righteous judge. In my study, I, I read on numerous uh, commentators that believed that the man who was involved in the act of adultery, who was not brought up on charges, only the woman was brought, was possibly coerced through blackmail or through a payment of cash to seduce this woman, that it was a setup from the beginning because it was required that there be two or three witnesses in order to bring it to court, and those two or three witnesses were there observing, and in the midst of it, they snatched up the woman and drug her before the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible says they did that to test him. They were looking for a way to trick the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet he reveals himself as the righteous judge. And he says, woman, is there anyone left here that condemns you? And she said, no one, Lord. And he says, I do not condemn you either. Go. But here's the part I want to make note of. From now on, sin no more. Beloved, we often read this story and we're just so grateful. God's so gracious when it comes to our sin. I mean, we are gracious, right? We are thankful children, thankful children. But we often overlook this little bitty phrase, go and sin no more. Beloved, repentance is to produce and to come out of a changed heart, a heart that is turning away from sin towards the Lord. That's repentance. But it is, if it is genuine, there will be fruits of repentance, the Bible says. That is a transformed life will follow. You know, we're getting used to lip service without life change. You're all groaning. <laughs> you want me to say it again? Did it feel good? <laughs> we are getting used to lip service. I am sorry. And thinking that's enough, 
when Jesus said go and sin no more, Craig and I used to live on Walnut Bend a number of years back uh, in Cordova, and we were taking a, a walk up our street one night, and we got almost up to the top of the hill, and we could hear this little baby kitten just crying horribly. And uh, Craig said, where's that cat coming from? I am a cat lover. I know most of you are not. But anyways, I am. And I said, oh my goodness, it looks like that cat's down the drain. And here was a sewer drain, and way down at the bottom was this little tiny kitten, and it was just Oh, it was just making this horrible, pitiful cry. And we were standing there talking to it, you know, and I was encouraging it, climb up, climb up. And there was no way to climb. It was just a slick pipe. And so the neighbors began to come out to see what the uh, matter was. And pretty soon somebody was saying, well, I'll get a crowbar. I'll climb down there. And sure enough, one of the men said, give me a ladder. And he throws the ladder down there and goes and rescues the little kitten. And everybody's all excited. They're feeding the little kitten, getting it some milk, and everybody's all happy. Craig and I slip away because my husband was saying, we're not taking that cat home. <laughs> Rescue, yes. Redeem, no. And <laughs> second night, we walk up to the top of the hill. We hear, Craig said, that's not that cat again, is it? And we look down the drain, and sure enough, there was that same cat down there in the same spot. Pretty soon all the neighbors come out and they say, oh my goodness, we got to rescue the cat. And once again, the guy throws the ladder down there, climbs down there and brings up the cat. Third night, third night, walk up the hill. Meow, meow, meow. Craig says, you, no, mm -mm, nope, not stopping tonight on his own. Go and sin no more. Get out of the ditch and stay out of it. Come on, people. That's what he was telling her. You're forgiven, but don't repeat it. Repentance bears fruit. He reveals himself as the righteous judge. Let me move on. He also reveals himself as the light of the world. This is the second I am statement. Look in verse 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Beloved, he declared this, we believe, during the festival of booths. Every night after the sacrifice, as sunset began to set in on Jerusalem, there were at least four, some commentaries think maybe more, maybe less, at least four huge candelabras like menorahs. They were 75 feet tall, and they were lit with oil. And every night during the festival of booths, those seven to eight days, the priest would go in to what was called the court of women and they would perform what was known as the illumination of the temple they would put a ladder up against the menorah and they would go up and light every one of those candlesticks and beloved it is said that the light was so bright that it lit all of Jerusalem I believe this is what he was talking about in Matthew when he said you're a city on a hill can you imagine looking up towards Jerusalem? It was like the Shekinah glory had descended as these lights were lit. And most commentators believe that it was at this moment as they're lighting all of those menorahs that Jesus declared, I am the light of the world. Can you imagine what that was like? Seizing upon that opportunity to teach them not just what he could do in the form of signs and miracles, but who he was. Who he was. You're in darkness. And I have come as the light. 
of the world. He captured this moment and turns everyone's attention to him and declares himself to be the light of the world. Now, beloved, the Jews knew uh, the Old Testament's all they had and they knew it well. They were learned in it and they knew this was a messianic claim. They knew he was saying he was equal with God the Father. And I tell you, there were those that despised him all the more. It goes on to say there were some who came to believe on him, who committed themselves wholly and completely to him. But there were those, beloved, who rejected him all the more for they knew what he was claiming to be. Not only does he declare himself as the righteous judge, reveal himself as the light of the world, but also the truth that sets us free. Look in verse 31. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Beloved, have you noticed as you've studied John how often the Lord Jesus equates a true disciple with obedience? We live in a culture that if you start talking about walking in obedience, they will tell you you're a legalist. Because we are living in a culture that wants to claim Jesus, but they want to live any way they want to. Jesus came to set us free, not to live like we want to, but to live like we ought to. If you know Jesus, he will set you free of every addiction, every stronghold, every heartache, every hurt. He will heal you. He will make you altogether new. Oh, beloved, he is the truth that sets us free. He says in verse 36, if the Son makes you free, that is, if you're genuinely converted, if you have met him on his terms of faith and repentance, you will be free indeed. Free from the penalty of sin. Free from the power of sin. And praise God one day, free even from the presence of sin. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Oh, listen, he'll make you free. He'll make you free. This is glory revealed. This is who he is. Not just what he does, but who he is. And the Bible teaches that when we receive the light of the world, he comes to indwell us, and then he declares us to be lights in this world. Transformed heart, changed life, brightly lit for the glory of Jesus Christ. Mr. Stockdale and I have just celebrated 46 years of marriage. 46 years. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm kind of impressed myself. That's a long time. You have to be this age to have been married that long. And I can, st- oh, I can just still remember as I was thinking about this story, I'm telling you, memories just flooded back. But I told you earlier, Craig and I were in a season of horrible rebellion. We decided at the age we had just turned 19, drop out of college and get married. And it was an act of rebellion. We knew our parents did not want us to. We knew they didn't think it was wise. But frankly, as I said, we'd been in so much trouble, they were frankly glad to get rid of us. And so we began our lives together, and we were madly in 
love apart from Christ, but madly in love with one another. And I can remember when we announced our engagement, how excited his extended family was. They were just grace givers, that's all I can say about it. Craig had a lot of extended family that lived in West Memphis. His grandparents lived over there and some aunts and uncles and so forth. And so they wanted to host a party for us when we were first engaged. And beloved, I was a nervous wreck because I felt like if any of them knew who I really was, they would not let me marry their child. And uh, I was nervous about being in a house full of all of these extended relatives. I was sure they would not like me, and I was pretty sure if Craig found out who I was, he wasn't going to like me either. And uh, <clears throat> turns out he did, uh, 46 years later. And, and, and so I can remember I went and bought a new dress. I, I can still remember this dress. In fact, I went and bought it at Dillard's. How's that for a memory? Can't remember what I did yesterday, but girls, I can go back and lift that up. And I got to tell you, this dress was a shirt dress. It was made of little gingham check, blue and white gingham check. It was knit. It had a self-belt. It had turned back cuffs. And it was all faced with fabric that was blue, like the blue in the checks, with little white polka dots. We used to call that Swiss dot. That's what it was. And um, I remember thinking, well, the dress, it's going to help. That's all I, it's all I can, I, I just was a nervous wreck. And we drove to West Memphis, and I'm telling Craig the whole way over there, they're not going to like me, they're not going to like me, I know they're not going to like me, and, and I'm so nervous about this, and I don't know what I'm going to say, I'm probably going to say something stupid, and this is going to be horrible, this is going to end badly, I know this is going to end badly, I don't really want to go, I wish I didn't have to go, is there any way I can get out of this? You know, there are times when you hope you get the 24-hour bug, right? And... Uh, that's where I was with this, and we're driving over there. And I can even remember walking up to the door that my knees were just weak. Now, I was looking good. You know what I'm saying? I had this new dress. But I was so anxious about meeting him. And I'm still telling him on the way up, I'm holding his arm, and I'm just saying, they're not going to like me. I know they're not going to like me. You know they're not going to like me. They are not going to like me. I, I just wish I wasn't. I wish I was anyplace right here. And we knocked on the door, and I, I can remember just all but hyperventilating. And when they opened the door, she had double doors, and she threw the doors open, and there was all of the family all gathered around together. And, y'all, when they saw me, they all burst out laughing. To which I was thinking, I knew they weren't going to like me. And it wasn't until I stepped inside that I realized why they were laughing. Craig's aunt and uncle were hosting this in their home. And she was an extremely, very creative lady, great, host, uh, great hostess, incredible cook. And she had made her own tablecloth and napkins. And y'all, it wasn't like my dress. It was the same fabric as my dress. The exact same fabric. When I sat down, I was horrified. I just can't even tell you. Horrified. When I sat down, you couldn't tell where I started and the <laughs> table stopped. I was afraid to use my napkin. I was afraid I'd have my dress up to my mouth. I mean, it was awful. The most uncomfortable evening. I just simply blended in. Now, here's the spiritual application. We were not created to blend in. We were born again. As lights in this world. To take the light of Jesus Christ and dispel the darkness. 
Oh, may we glow for his glory. This, beloved, is glory revealed, the light of the world. Let's pray. Father, Father, thank you for your word of admonition and instruction today. Father, how we long to press into these truths. How we long, Father, to learn from these truths, to not be one who is just a hearer of the word, but one who becomes an effectual doer of the word as we look intently into the perfect law of liberty and then abide by it. Father, help us to not just be hearers, but to be doers of your word. Help us to take it seriously. Help us to ask the Spirit of God to imprint these truths upon our heart and life and then live them out. Jesus said, go and sin no more. Father, help us to allow you to be the one who breaks the chains of any addiction. And Father, I speak against anything the enemy has wrapped around the heart of any of the women in this group either who are here now or listening online. We speak against addiction, against suicidal thoughts, against depression caused by spiritual unwellness. We speak against anything that is holding anyone captive. For you have come to set the captives free. Father, help us to live as lights in the world, a city set upon a hill. You said yourself, you don't take a bushel basket and put it over a candle. You set it on a lampstand so it might give light, might glorify our works, that our Father in heaven would be glorified. Lord, reveal your glory through us. Father, until we see you face to face, May we run hard after you. And in these days when the culture is so broken and damaged, in these days when so many people are hurting from unbelievable episodes of life, may we be light, healing, bright, illuminating, encouraging to the building up of the body of Christ. Lord, Bless every one of these women. They've sacrificed to be here this morning to study your word. Bless them really good. Draw them up close and whisper, you are loved. You are my beloved disciple, a daughter of the King Most High. Now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling, to him who is able to present us faultless before the throne, to him be all of the glory and all of the praise, and all of the worship, and all of the dominion, forever and ever, the light of the world. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you.